really interesting market session. Really, really interesting guy. Uh, stocks uh, just yeah. rolled over. The Fed's ripped away the floor from this one for a little bit. Yeah, the Fed's getting a lot of flack today. Do you think that's due? Do you think that's justified? I, in, I, there seems to be a lot being made of this transitory line and the fact that that was a miscommunication and it was a mistake from the, uh, from the Federal Reserve. I just wonder whether there's a bunch of people out there who had a bunch of positions on, slightly got their fingers burnt. Yeah, I night. agree with that. Two silly things have happened. One, the Federal Reserve and the idea they were going to cut rates anytime soon was ridiculous. Two, the Federal Reserve chairman seems to be at odds with the rest of his committee. And I wonder whether that's going to show itself, reveal itself a little bit more tomorrow when we get a ton of Fed speakers, including the vice chairman, Richard Clarida. They've spent months curating a really careful message that still hasn't been quite fully communicated as to what is happening with inflation and how they'd respond to softer inflation in the coming year. And then the chairman comes out. It's not formalized in the statement. It's in the news conference with the chairman himself. And he says it's transitory, quite definitively as well, Guy. Yep. And he only really hedged it, I think, maybe once. And it wasn't entirely convincing either. And the market said, hold on a minute. We've been told for three, four months that they'd let this run a little bit hot, that maybe this softer inflation issue was a concern that they might respond to. And all of a sudden, bank. Big change. Can I just make an observation? Please do. question for the two of you. Yesterday, throughout all of your interviews, both John Farrow and also Guy Johnson, the theme was that the news conference was going to be a snoozer. Should have been a snoozer. Everybody said it was going to be a snoozer. snoozer. That was not the case. I think it was a snooze first. I think this is a storm in the Well, well, with the exception of that one line, Guy, it was. But but you're always going to have to fight. There there was going to have to be something that the market reacted to. And it was, as with all these kinds of things, I think a... You're kind of looking for something to react to, and I think that was that was picked upon. I think if you take a step back and you look at the big picture, I, I'm not sure the Fed narrative has changed. Yes, there was a shift from the statement to the news conference, but but as we've just discovered, kind of real time events, the nuances can be a little bit different. But in, in the big picture of things, the U.S. economy is trundling along really nicely. Take Agreed. a look at productivity number today. I, the U.S. economy can run hotter and faster, and not shake. If, if those kind of productivity numbers keep being delivered, that's great news. I agree with all of that. This is only hawkish relative to the exceptional, ridiculous pricing of yeah. the bond market yeah, where exactly. some people were looking for a rate cut. I know plenty of people that were pushing back against that idea and wouldn't have been surprised. I just think what people were surprised by, to take this delicate sort of approach towards discussing inflation for much of this year and then just to reduce it to transitory you know yeah, what's okay. going to happen. And what we're also used to is the laser precision of the Mario Draghi's of this, of this world. That when they say something, each and every word is loaded with meaning. So for Chairman Powell to have said that yesterday and not realise that actually it would have had quite an impact, I think is a bit naive. Now, you might make the argument that maybe he was making that argument yesterday because he thought rates pricing had gone too far. I have some sympathy with that view. What I find more and more interesting, and I think, once again, it will reveal itself tomorrow... Is the Federal Reserve chairman at odds with his committee at the moment? And is he at odds with those closest to him? For instance, Williams, for instance, Richard Clarida. We'll hear from them both tomorrow. Now, if they turn around also and say this is transitory, then this move in this market's got further to go. If they walk it back a little bit or caveat it a little bit more, or they manage to massage the message a whole lot better than Chairman Powell did yesterday, I think that can make all the difference.
Are we gonna are we gonna hear Charlie Pellet's headlines or are we gonna move on? Because I've got Michael Houston sitting next to me itching. I, I'm guessing by that music we are gonna hear from Charlie Pellet. Here's what's going on. Mark Carney says the Bank of England will raise rates by more than investors are predicting if the UK successfully manages a smooth exit from the European Union. Policymakers this morning unanimously kept rates on hold. Metro Bank shares plunging after disclosing that some business customers pulled their deposits earlier this year when the British lender revealed a misclassification of mortgages and a regulatory probe, shares tumbling by 15%. Oil now at the lowest in a month as ballooning U.S. crude stockpiles and higher than expected Russian production offset worries about a supply squeeze. Brent crude down 2.5%. Latest from the news desk, and back to you, Guy Johnson in London. Thank you very much indeed. So Michael Houston from CMC Markets um, got a bit bored in the office this afternoon, so he decided he'd go for a walk. He seems to have ended up here. <laughs> Uh, and this is now is sitting next to me, which is lucky nice. you. I think that's I, great. I'm not going to complain, Michael. You were you were itching to get involved in that Fed conversation. I much was. ado about nothing. Much ado about nothing. I think you're being a bit harsh on Mr. Powell, Mr. Farrow. Um, I think he's doing a good job in very difficult circumstances. Certainly, he's under a lot more political scrutiny than Mrs. Yellen was um, when she was running the Fed, and he's having to put up a lot. He's having to put up an awful lot with. Respect to Larry Kudlow, um, chief, you know, Mr. Trump's uh, chief economic advisor, urging him to push rates down, not particularly credibly, if I may add, because I don't think anyone thinks that a one percent rate cut is in any way credible. And I think the markets have been listening uh, I think far Larry's too calling much. For a fifty basis point cut. I think it's the president that's oh, calling yeah. for a hundred basis point cut. But I think does anyone really think that that is credible? And I think what Mr. Powell did yesterday was he reined back. WIRP expectations, which was saying that ultimately we'd see a Fed rate cut in December, putting it at a 66% probability. Well, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that was fairly priced. If you look at the ADP numbers yesterday, 275,000. That doesn't tell me that the labour market is tight. You mentioned productivity numbers, but look at the unit labour costs number, Guy. That was minus 09 well down from what it was in Q4. So certainly I don't think inflation is a problem at this point in time, and I don't think it's likely to be so. I think what he was merely doing was trying to reorientate market expectations about the Fed's rate path, which had got too dovish. I would agree with that. I think a lot of people would too. I think the ultimate problem, and we mentioned it on this program yesterday, Mike, Mm. is that we don't understand this Federal Reserve's reaction function. And something Guy and I discussed, and I'd love your contribution to it just very Mm. quickly if you can, even if I told you every single economic data point the world over for the next 12 months, you still couldn't mm. tell me what the Fed's going to do with it. That's a problem. I could. They're not going to do anything unless the data deteriorates markedly between now and September. Simple. How do they respond to higher inflation prints? Transitory, like the Bank of England did in 2010 and 2012 when oil prices went up through $100. Transitory is a fallback position for any central banker who can't explain an inflation. That's a problem. We can continue the conversation, guys. Michael Houston's going to stick with us alongside Kai Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. 
Good evening, 10 past 5 in the City of London. You are listening to The Cable. We've already discussed one half of The Cable. That is the dollar half. We've talked about the Federal Reserve. So let's talk about the other half of it, what's happening with the pound. Mark Carney says the Bank of England would raise interest rates by more than investors are predicting if the UK successfully manages a smooth exit from the European Union. Here are some of the comments he made earlier. In recent months, global tensions have eased. In particular, there's been a marked easing in global financial conditions triggered by revisions to monetary policy outlooks in major economies. In tandem, global risk sentiment has recovered, and this has spilled over to lower yields and to ease financial conditions in the United Kingdom, even though we're going through this period of uncertainty uh, in the run-up to uh, some resolution around Brexit. It will require uh, interest rate increases over that period, and it will require more and more frequent um, interest rate increases than uh, the market currently expects. Bit of an issue here. Market doesn't believe the government of the Bank of England. Market really doesn't <laughs> not, believe not the, the first of the Bank time, of England. Why would they? Um, and, and there's some probably some pretty, as these guys are hinting at, some pretty solid reasons for that. History would certainly dictate that the governor has promised much but delivered little. Michael Hewson, what did you make of the governor's performance today? I've heard this song before, Guy, about the fact that rates could raise quicker than markets are pricing in. We heard it in 2014 when he said that the unemployment rate would drop below 7% and that he would look at potentially raising interest rates then. Where's unemployment now? It's 3.8%. Yep. And we're still no closer to another rate rise. In fact, we've had one, no, we've had two rate rises, yep. I think, in the last three years and one rate cut. So for me, uh, Mr. Carney is suffering from what I would term the boy who cried wolf. And he's done it too many times. And ultimately, when you look at the data coming out of the UK, I think expectations of a rate rise this year are predicated on one outcome. And he mentioned it, a smooth Brexit outcome. If we get that, it could unlock a flood of business investment. And that in turn could cause the UK economy to pick up much faster than expected. But at the moment, it's, it's not underperforming. It is slightly outperforming. How much of that is down to stockpiling pre the 29th of March, pre-Brexit deadline, which obviously got extended out? You mentioned it on the TV earlier about the UK surprise index. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think a large part of that, it's, I think it's difficult to separate that out from what was going on pre the 29th of March. How much of that was down to businesses stockpiling ahead of the Brexit deadline and how much of it was actually as a result of a resilient UK economy? It's difficult to yeah, extrapolate. Yeah. Lucy Meakin, our colleague here at Bloomberg, asked a really interesting question in the news conference. She asked him about the premise that underlies the forecast, Michael, which essentially mm. is this smooth Brexit. And she said, is that view of a smooth Brexit at odds with what we see playing out in Parliament at the moment? He gave an interesting answer to it, actually, but I'd just love your opinion on that. Do you think it is at odds with what is currently playing out? Yeah, absolutely. I can't see any outcome at the moment which would give us a smooth Brexit. Um, the, maths of, the mathematics of the House of Commons haven't changed, and they're not likely to. So I'm not really sure where we go to from here and October. You know, Donald Tusk said, don't waste this time. Well, at the moment, we're still navel-gazing about local council elections yep. and European elections. I'm going to be slightly... Just, I'm just going to caution everybody a little bit right now. Um, there are local elections taking place today. There are reporting restrictions. 
we could get in trouble. You're very good at this. It's very responsible. I get, I get, I get emails. You get emails as well on this. I'll probably get them now. Um, I suspect Michael will be getting one as well. Um, We are constantly deluged with this kinds of stuff. I'm just going to point it out, uh, only because this is a kind of UK-focused show. Mm. We probably can step away from the uh, from the politics. The clock is your friend, guy. The clock is your friend. Uh, It is. We've got 30 seconds to go uh, in this particular segment. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about next, and that is what is happening in the eurozone. Uh, at the moment we're going to talk about the eurozone uh, data that dropped a little bit earlier on and what that signals for the uh, for the single currency uh, and what mario draghi is going to do or not do this is the cable with jonathan farrow and guy johnson on bloomberg radio this is the cable live across the capital on dab digital radio you are listening to bloomberg radio i have spent I reckon about 50% of my morning watching Lionel Messi's third goal uh, for <laughs> Barcelona. Right. His second. <laughs> Barcelona's third. On repeat, guys. Just, it is a thing of beauty. From my children third. are not happy. Are they disappointed, are they? Did they yeah. watch it, guys? Did you let them stay no. up? No. no. I always no. found that no, difficult no, no. on Champions League nights when I was a kid, when it was the European Cup back then, and you had to go to bed at half-time because it was always 9 o'clock. Yeah. We just basically said, watch it in the morning. You're going to be up early. And, they, and then they can watch it on YouTube now, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas back then, what could you do 20-odd years ago? Uh, listen to it on the wireless. Is that what you did? Is that what they called it then? Is that what they called it then? The wireless. <laughs> well, he was going 20 years ago. I think he's basically... I, I think, I think uh, yeah. I remember... I, I, don't know I how think, think Barrow's extracting the but urine when, there. But when, when, when Eric Cantona jumped into the crowd, was that against Wimbledon, was it, all those years uh, ago? It was Palace. Was it Palace? I think you might be it right. Was, I think it was, it was Palace. It was Crystal Palace. It, it was, was Crystal Palace fan Matthew Simmons. And I, I listened to that one live on the radio. Uh, I don't remember anything about the game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think many people... I don't think any other people do. I don't even know what the result was. I love the idea that Guy still calls it the wireless. Don't call it the wireless. (laughs) Don't be kids. Tell the kids. It's you you implying that I'm old uh, old and wise, basically. (laughs) Tell the kids. I'll put it on the wireless in the car for you. Come on. We both remember Radio Luxembourg. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Guys, Uh, we get to the data. Yeah, let's get to the data. Can I just say that Beyond Meat has just opened? That's it. What is Beyond Meat? Well, I think it's fake meat, isn't it? Synthetic meat. And, and this is a, basically a startup that is that is still loss making and everything else, but but it's listed. Oh, then it's got to go up, then, isn't it? If it's loss making, everything else does. This this feels so toppy, doesn't it? When a company like that comes public and raises yeah. a lot of money. Well, not just that, John. It's Lyft, Uber next week. I mean, I think I think the raison d'être now for IPOs is if you're not losing money, you're doing something wrong. But there's always a story, isn't there? There's always a great story, and you know we can almost make up the story on the spot. We're eating too much meat globally, but we still need a great source of protein. Here's a company that develops plant-based it's, protein food products it, available for everybody. It's a, it IPO'd at 25. It's trading at 47, 48. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get me some of that. Someone's yep. happy. Someone's mm. very happy. $2.8 yeah. um, billion dollar market cap. That's amazing, isn't it? It is incredible. I, but, but, yeah, I, the, the, uh, a, a day for the vegetarians. A day for, a, a day for us all. Anyway, yeah. I just thought I'd point it out that Beyond Meat, which is a fantastic company name, rising nearly 80% or whatever it, it does is. what it says on the tin guy. Yeah. Come, like, the, the whole tin kind of thing is, is kind of interesting in that It's context. up a cool 98% on is the it? session. Yeah. My maths is out of date. 
It's up a cool 98%. Opened up 84% higher. So than Bill Nike. Gates, Leonardo DiCaprio investing in this one? There you go. They're making really? big money. Up 99% now. Do you think they left some of it on the table when they IPO'd this one? Up 99%. There's a joke around that. I, I must admit, I have not seen. <laughs> I haven't like, seen. I boom. haven't seen. Sure. <laughs> I haven't seen the. Uh, I haven't seen the financials for it, so I couldn't possibly comment. Well, I won't comment either. Let's talk about the European data. Mm. Just a glimmer of hope, Michael. Green shoots. We love them. Green shoots. Do you see any? I see a little bit of a twitch, shall we say, on the mortuary slab. Um, looking at Germany's numbers, I don't think we're seeing any green shoots there certainly in terms of the manufacturing sector and retail sales are also very disappointing. So you could argue that Spain is improving. Italy is, there are signs of life there. It's back above 50, the manufacturing. France is still struggling, but green shoots, I'm a bit cautious at the moment. Okay, let's, let's put it another way. Has Draghi stabilised the situation? I don't think Draghi has got any control over the situation whatsoever. I think what we're seeing at the moment is a little bit of a pick-up after, after a Q1 slowdown. The ECB is at the limits of what it can do. Um, why would he have announced a TLTRO for September so far in advance if he was in any way in control of events? He must have a very pessimistic view, or the governing council must have a very pessimistic view of where the Eurozone economy is going between now and the end of the year. I've never known a central banker pre-commit to the extent that he has with respect to this programme. A six-month lead time. Yep. You could argue better safe than sorry. You could, but when do central bankers ever do something like that? I've never known Mark Carney do that. He tends to... Well, they're talking about the states at the moment. They're talking about kind of um, rate cuts, preventative rate cuts. The, the recovery back on... Powell's not talking about We were that. until yesterday. Okay. Well, we were, the market was reading too much into the narrative. But people like Evans that. have been talking about it. I, the, the, I, these are serious central bankers that have, that have talked about it. Yeah, there was if. But it's all, they've always been data dependent. You know, I, think, you know, I think it's very easy to bash the Fed. I think of the few well, central banks... They make it banks, easy for us, don't they? I'm sure they do, but I think you've also got to... Okay, uh, is got it easy to bash Fed. the ECB? I think it is easier to bash the ECB. Unfortunately, I think there's too much politics involved in the ECB you don't have anywhere near as much politics with respect to the Fed because with the ECB, you've got different governing <laughs> council members. Have you met Mr Moore? <laughs> I was watching um, your interview with him, suitably unimpressed, I have We're to gonna say. We're going to play a bit of that later on the but, um, you know, going But you've got various countries pushing their own political agenda with respect to the governing council. Now, Mr Draghi is very adept at trying to navigate that line, but he's leaving. Well, this is the problem, and you've touched on an important problem that I think is gaining a little bit of traction among a lot of people. It was Lorcan Roche Kelly, our colleague, that uh, wrote very recently that just maybe, maybe the technique that Draghi's deployed over the last few years of cornering the governing council by mentioning new policies potentially in the news conference mm. isn't working this time. And we're seeing it with the tiering of the deposit rate. Just a little bit of an utterance of the... ECB president, not enough to get other people coming with him. Do we have a lame duck president at the ECB now? He strikes me, we, we get this in football a lot, where the manager says he's going to resign or leave at the end of the season and the rest of the team, and the team stops playing for him. And I think that's what you're seeing here with Draghi. People know that he's going and ultimately he's not going to be able to shape policy yep. beyond his departure. Michael Hewson, thanks for taking a stroll this afternoon and coming Thank to you, see Mike. us. Thank you, Mike. It yeah. made it nicer. Good to be here. Yeah, it, it did. Made it nicer. Nice in person. 
In the flesh, talking of the flesh, uh, Beyond Meat now trading at oh, 55 89. Nice. It's up by well over 100%. Great puns. This is bl- More of that <laughs> coming up. <laughs> This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. It is half past five in the city of London. Um, European equity markets finishing generally a little softer today. Returning to the fray, though, after the May Day holiday yesterday, there was quite a lot of ex-dividend to think about. Stocks like AXA going ex-dividend. So that kind of confused things, John. Did you see the headline that just crossed the Bloomberg? The president says Moore has decided to withdraw from the Fed process about an hour and 30 minutes after Guy Johnson interviewed him on Bloomberg TV. And, and, after you, think, he, and you think there's a connection? And after he told Guy that the administration was all in on his nomination, it sounds like that wasn't the case, Guy. How embarrassing. Yeah. Funnily enough, um, we were just talking about this online. I, I, I did wonder, judging by the nose count that exists in the Senate at the moment, whether or not his level of conviction was matched by the political reality. Um, and it turns out I don't think it does. I think basically the message has come from the Senate, which is, um, no, we're not doing this. The president's selection for the Federal Reserve Board of Governors it's going is, well. uh, is bowing out of consideration. This is the president on Twitter. That's, that's, that's uh, two nothing, isn't it? Herman Cain. Yep. Who's next? I mean, they had gone from very, very sort of conventional nominations to throwing around some quite out there names that weren't getting much traction at all. And not just on the left, on the right, too. Greg Mankiw, conservative economist over at Harvard, was pretty scathing recently about some of the selections that the president was trying to make. Bear in mind that he never actually made these nominations official, Guy. Um, yeah. Y- you have to wonder... I, I, who do you think is talking to the president about this stuff? Do you think the president just sees like more and goes, you know what, or he says the rate should be lower, he's my man? I don't know if it's... Uh, uh, look, the way this happened, you want to know how this nomination happened? Yeah. The way this nomination happened is that Larry Kudlow reportedly took well. a Wall Street Journal op-ed piece to the president and said, why haven't we nominated this guy? And then after that, it sort of unraveled very quickly from there. That's how reportedly this happened with Stephen Moore. How Herman Cain happened, I have no idea. How they get shut down, I think is pretty obvious. You get more senators pushing back, it slowly yeah. reaches the White House, and they know there's it, no But point. they only need four. They need four, and if four turn around and go, no, we're and, out. And here we are. Then that's where we are. And, and I think what, we've also, at, it's, I think. Not even the, it's not even the economics of this as well. It's also the politics, not just the views of Stephen Moore, economically speaking, that I think fell on deaf ears with a lot of people, but also the politics of this. It was revealed very recently in the last couple of weeks that he said some pretty poor things about certain areas of the United States. I think he referred to various states of the armpits of America and then tried to walk it back. Politically speaking, that is just terrible. And for the president, that's not something he needs. And there's also the gender gender element to all of yeah, this as well. Big issue which, there too. Which which is something that that obviously he's trying to downplay and basically sort of downplay very strongly. And has basically said, I want to see wages going up for everybody, but my biggest concern is that wages, particularly for middle class black and white men, have not been rising. And I think that is part of society's problem at the moment. I he he has had to walk that back and distance himself from those comments, and I think he's struggled to do so. Um, and I think that's been another factor into the thinking. But that didn't last long, did it? Should we play some of your interviews still? I feel like we should. 
Uh, it only took place an hour ago. It did. It's but... insane that he thought they had his back and then literally... I mean, do we seriously sit here and believe that he decided to withdraw from the process an hour after doing an interview where he told you guys no, he, he, that he was I, all in? I, I, no, he... <laughs> This is not something that that he would have known anything about. I suspect the first time he discovered that he was no longer Trump's pick for the Fed was when Trump said that that they've decided to withdraw the nomination. I, that's got to have been how it's happened. I don't think that that he, judging by the language that he was using an hour ago, he certainly didn't see this one coming. But doesn't this just expose politics for what it is? Sometimes yeah. the idea that Moore has decided to withdraw from the process. I mean, if he decided to withdraw from the process, there's no way he was going on TV 60 minutes ago to tell no. Bloomberg and the world that watches that he was going to stay in and that the administration was all in and they had his back and they were ready to go. Yeah, I. I think we all know it, it is. It is pretty obvious what has happened here, um, and I suspect that that he was as much in the dark as 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 we were in terms of how this process was going to unfold. I, in fact, actually, I think probably we had a better picture of what was happening, given the fact that that we're probably more receptive to the skepticism that surrounds his nomination. That would be my take on the situation. Um, I think he. I think he's as surprised as anybody else right now. Charlie Pellet, or maybe more so, standing patiently by to get us up to speed on the other top stories. What a morning! What, what an a afternoon! Morning. What and an I'm, evening, Charlie. I, I am fascinated by the conversation because I too listened to that interview this morning, and I agree totally with the two of you that uh, Moore definitely did not see this coming. Lots of other things going on today, though, and of course we will stick with the Moore story. But Mark Carney said the Bank of England would raise rates by more than investors are predicting if the UK successfully manages a smooth exit from the European Union. Policymakers unanimously keeping rates on hold. Royal Dutch Shell's first quarter earnings beat even the highest analyst estimate as its natural gas business led a strong company-wide performance. Shell gives a positive ending to a mixed big oil earnings season, which showed companies mostly recovering from a worst-in-a-generation downturn, but unable to fully insulate themselves against volatile markets. In the United States, we're watching the Beyond Meat IPO. What a day for that stock. Uh, It is a maker of vegan chicken and beef. It is surging by 133% ticker on that BYND. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, back to you. Charlie Pellet, thank you very much. Just 60 minutes ago, barely an hour and change, this is what the president's supposed pick for the Federal Reserve, Stephen Moore, had to say about staying in the running for the Fed. Take a listen. I'm not too concerned about this. Um, I, I actually think if we can steer the, uh, the discussion... Uh, away from things I wrote 20, 25 years ago and more towards what I believe in in terms of the economy and Fed policy and how to create growth and stable prices, I think I'm going to win a big majority. Stephen Moore, that was literally what guy an hour or so ago? Uh, Yeah, economists on the one hand. On the other hand, the numbers never add up, do they? Andy Sinkai joining us now, editor and blogger for Marcus Life. Andy, what have you got to say about this? Well, I, I would just like to say that uh, Mr. Moore is probably going to retire and spend more time with his family. You know, those are the usual things that we get when CEOs get pushed out, too. So, you know, a political statement here that uh, Moore has decided to withdraw, you know, probably not such a big surprise, although it's pretty funny, as you point out. You know, he's all confident, but, you know, when the president calls you up and says, yeah, you know, this just isn't going to work, <laughs> you got to move on, and that's it. So he was hoping they do pick somebody else who's... Okay, uh, okay, so... 
Do we? I was about to say. So, so does this mean that we are now moving towards a more mainstream candidate? More main, yeah, more mainstream candidates because there's a few seats that are vacant. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of seats that are vacant, and they really do need to fill these up. And it really shouldn't be this hard. Um, I, you know, uh, you guys were talking before about how does uh, a nomination or at least a candidate floated like more come along. You know, I think it's the president. I think he's trying to push uh, the envelope as much as he can. There's certainly a large coterie of people out there, economists and non-economists, who are critical of the way the Fed does its job and critical of the way that it's more academic think than real world think. Um, and so, you know, I, I, while these two guys are outliers, uh, I, I think you can find a lot more people who are more believable, if you will, who might come from an academic bent but would have a much more uh, – What's the word you want to use here? You know, they might have their feet more on the ground, if you will, and not be so uh, so off in the ether. You know, and, and let's turn this back around to Jay Powell, too. You know, his point yesterday, which seemed to sink the markets a little bit, yep. was to say that inflation is transitory, right? And that's uh, that's very much a real-world more view of things rather than, uh, than just relying on the numbers themselves. And he's going to stick around. Plenty more we need to discuss. We should probably talk about Tesla as well during this program. That's all coming up. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Charlie Pellet's favourite song. It's got a great story about the band behind it. I'm going to tell Why it to you. Why are you restarting? <laughs> Why are you restarting this? Why? I don't know. Charlie loves it. Connor Sam writing on Twitter. He, uh, he writes for Bloomberg Opinion as well. This was 11.56 Eastern time. So this was about 50 minutes ago. He said, looking forward to more learning via Twitter from Trump that he's decided to withdraw from the process. <laughs> Can I just say that Connor Sen appears to have absolutely nailed it when it comes yeah. to that. Wow. Guy, you wanted to talk about Tesla. Really interesting. Cash call, both on the equity side and on the debt side, too. And the market likes it, both on the credit side and well, the I, equity side as well. So I think it just clears things up a little bit. Um, I think there was some ambiguity around what Musk said on the call. Um, I think this probably just kind of puts a, We don't have a lot of detail at this point. So I think we probably do need more detail. Um, but nevertheless, it just kind of clears up the reality of the situation. I think there's an interesting compare and contrast today as well. Volkswagen out with really strong numbers today. Um, this is a company that's about to launch its its first kind of ID product. It's going to follow the Tesla playbook in terms of uh, pre-orders. It's hoping for a lot of kind of news around that. Um, it's spending millions on on the advertising story. I, I I think I think investors in Tesla need to pay attention to what it to what um, Volkswagen is doing. I, they are spending serious money on this stuff. Tesla stock up, Tesla credit yep. up. Looking at the 2025 notes, I think this is interesting. So when this came to market a couple of Augusts ago, this was a, uh, a piece of Tesla debt. For this specific credit rating, for this specific maturity, this was a record low yield. And it came with a coupon at the time of 5.3%. Now, you're not allowed to look. What do you think it yields now, Guy? Uh, I would have thought that it yields a lot more. 8%. 8%. So, yes, the market's adjusted today, but the market has adjusted radically over the last couple of years. Andy Cinco with us, editor and blogger for Markets Live. Is this enough, Andy? For Tesla? No, probably not. I mean, they're not making money, and they're not 
cash flow positive, and they're trying to build new models, and they're trying to expand into everything, into, uh, everything else, right? Europe and Asia. And now they're trying to build a pickup truck, and I, I don't know what else you know Elon Musk is going to come up with. Well, they're getting but, into the chip know, the business. Basic, they're coming into all kinds of things, aren't they? Yeah, of course. And the basic problem, though, is they're just they don't have a cash flow positive business to 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 fund all these things. Amazon's the complete opposite, right? It's just a cash flow machine. So it wants to expand into uh, cloud computing and retailing and Whole Foods, you know, can do that. It's got cash coming out of its pockets. Not so with Tesla. Can I, I, I'm quite serious about this Volkswagen story. I, Volkswagen is a juggernaut, um, and it's about to launch its first EV, kind of pure EV kind of play under the Volkswagen name. Like it's already got the Golf out there, but it's kind of it's now starting to mimic the Musk model in terms of how he has pushed these things out there. It doesn't have the kind of show business that, that Musk, Musk brings. And it's been a very slow process. But I, I, I just wonder whether U.S. investors paid enough attention to what is happening. This is a company that post-diesel is spending billions on this kind of stuff. Not, and not just them, of course, right? Ford just teamed up with uh, a company that's backed by Amazon to build a, a, a couple of uh, pickup trucks and SUVs, Rivulin, I think it's called. I, the name has escaped me at the moment. And then, of course, let's not count out General Motors. Let's not count out um, BMW and Mercedes. And, yeah. But, but uh, Volkswagen know, is the biggest car that. company in the world. Yeah, for sure. But GM is huge, too. If God forbid GM tries to get into this in a huge way by buying something, you know, G- GM knows how to put together cars and trucks ASAP, and they can flood the market, I think, if they want to. Andy Sinko, great to have you with us. It's going to stick with us. Guy Johnson and myself, Jonathan Ferro, taking you through to the end of the week. Tomorrow, it's Payrolls Friday. We'll run you through the next 24 hours and get Andy's thoughts on what we should be looking for in a payrolls report tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio in the London area and around the world on all of your Bloomberg devices. Um, a fair bit of news over the last uh, hour or so. Uh, Stephen Moore, the Trump nominee to the Fed has been withdrawn or has withdrawn, depending on your point of view or who you ask, I suspect. Uh, the other thing that's worth paying attention to as well is that Beyond Meat has IPO'd in the United States and is up over 100%. Um, should we move on to what happens tomorrow and what we get for the rest of the week? I guess there probably isn't much of the rest of the week left. Uh, after the bell, we get earnings from CBS, Activision and Expedia. Tomorrow we get UK CPI, uh, UK PMIs and CPI and PPI numbers for the Eurozone. Uh, and, and of course, we then get the US jobs report at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. Um, the ADP number was really strong back on Wednesday. Does that mean that we're going to see a strong payroll number? Andy Cinco is still with us. Andy, thoughts on tomorrow? Yeah, I wouldn't rely too much on the ADP report. It doesn't have a great track record. And remember, ADP was quite weak ahead of the March number, which came in pretty decent at 196,000. Um, so I'm not sure you should put a lot of stock into that. Um, but I think the thing you might want to watch more than the headline number is the uh, so-called change in private payrolls. That's the household survey. Uh, the top line number, of course, the survey of businesses. So the household survey, um, you know, is looking to be pretty steady here, about 185,000 jobs added. Um, if it can hold there, you know, we're going to keep talking about a 
strong uh, labor market and people are finding work when they're looking for it. And, um, you know, that should be pretty good for GDP in the, in the second quarter, assuming people go out and spend, uh, you know, their newfound wages at these new jobs that they're finding. I'm going to ask for forgiveness before I even ask this question, but tomorrow is good news, bad news? Meaning for the market both is good news, bad news for the market from jobs. Um, uh, (laughs) It might actually sink the bond market. Uh, You know, there's still that um, residual bet on a rate cut sometime in the next 12 months. You know, the stronger the job market is, the more that that uh, bet looks tenuous and the more that it might get unwound. Um, I don't know that there's a huge risk here, John, that bond market will have some sort of uncontrolled sell-off, but, you know, it, it would not be unusual if it all of a sudden, you know, got hit rather steeply, uh, and that took stocks with it. Did, uh, did, did, this, did the reaction in stocks last night to the Fed give you any indication as to how fragile sentiment is, is right now? When I looked at the internal indicators of the stock market earlier, yeah, I think there is some fragility here. You're seeing not as m- good breath, meaning the number of stocks participating in a rally is is getting to be less and less and less. So you're relying on fewer companies. And then yesterday, the sell-off was rather steep. You know, we had about 85% of stocks in the S&P 500 drop. We, that's the third time that's happened this year. So it's rather infrequent. And so that was a rather strong sell signal there internally. Now, none of these things are really predictive of the future, but when you sort of add it up and you look at the different factors underneath the hood of the engine of the stock market, you get to be a little bit concerned that there's not as much oomph there, you know, there's not as much uh, uh, pushing stocks higher. And so there is some fragility here. I think if the market, uh, the cross-asset market starts to, those relationships start to break down, stocks will uh, immediately get sucked into that. So Andy, you've written about this today, so let's explore it further as to whether a change in character, in your words, could be a foot for stocks. Do you think it could be? I am unsure of that. So far, there's a couple of things that say yes, as I pointed to breath and and volume yesterday. Trading volume was higher, so that sort of speaks to some emotion there. But on the other hand, the depth of that sell-off, as I just mentioned, was rather high and rather unusual when you look at uh, uh, at how close stocks are to a record high. During this entire bull market, uh, we've never seen uh, the depth and breadth of a sell-off when the stock market is within 1% of its all-time high. It's a, it's a very strange uh, <laughs> event, and I'm not sure to characterize that as fragility or just an oddball, an outlier, a weird coincidence that you know everybody kind of decided to sell at once after the Fed meeting, and that produced this outlier of weakness that we saw. Sell in May. Um, how do you think the market's position right now? Uh, I think everybody's worried. You know, I, the, the put-call ratio the other day was above one on a total basis for equities, so that's a, a bet uh, uh, for safety. That's a plea for safety. Um, I, I think people are very much talking about and looking at and worried about the VIX index, like currently about you know, 12, 13, 14. It's at the very low end of the range for the past couple of years. And we've seen volatility blowups happen when the VIX index gets this low. So people are nervous. People are worried. And, uh, you know, that too is is one of those things where if the selling gets going, it's not going to take much to push uh, some nervous Nellies off onto the sidelines. It's interesting how this looks elsewhere, though, Guy, because skew is completely the opposite in emerging markets versus 
the S&P 500. Andy mentioned the put-call ratio there. A lot of people reach in for downside protection in the United States. I can tell you in emerging markets, guys, completely the opposite. Loading up on upside, looking to get upside in emerging markets. So it's not as yeah. if everyone's capitulated on the global story yet. Maybe there's some kind of regional pivot afoot. I don't know. I think there's, you've got to kind of look at what happens in China as well. The margin story in China is absolutely massive at the moment. Um, and that there is still this ongoing belief that the Chinese authorities have got the markets back. I think that could be part and parcel of that narrative as well. I, it's such a margin-driven a margin-driven market at the moment, uh, and it's becoming a bigger and bigger part of, of the EM universe as well. Plus, you, you take a look at kind of how the data's shifted around a little bit, and the market's reacted to a lot of that as well um already i i don't know i it, they're two very different places and i and i increase I, I i'd be curious to get your take on this i you talk to a u.s investor the home bias at the moment is so strong so strong just gradually though guy i'm hearing more and more specifically from morgan stanley people looking abroad just a little bit more just starting to venture out in europe i mean you must get that feeling too in europe over the last couple of weeks a, li- oh, God, a little slow, bit just slowly just if, at the margin but relative to what everyone hating it yeah, it's a little I, bit of a that, change. Uh, uh, there is a, maybe a little bit of change under underfoot as well. Uh, foot as well, but you you kind of look at the U.S. data and how it's proceeding at the moment. I know Europe looks cheap, but Europe's looked cheap for a long, long, long time, and it can stay cheap too. Andy, yep. great to catch up with you. Payrolls Friday tomorrow. Full coverage from Guy Johnson and myself coming right up. We'll catch you tomorrow. Look forward to it. This was the cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. Mm-hmm.